Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 248. People who say it can't be done should not interrupt those who are doing it. Casey, nice that. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's episode is brought to you by Blackbox. Blackbox is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content. And you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. Today's show is also sponsored by Studio Unknown. Studio Known is a crack team of audio post professionals known for quality sound on any indie budget. Whether you need a lush surround sound mix or a quick festival submission pass, Studio Known can help you with all of your post sound needs, from sound design and mix to Foley ADR and even a custom score. Contact Studio Known and mention the Indie Film Hustle podcast, and you'll get 50% off one day of ADR or 10% off your complete post sound package. Just go to studiounknown.com. Now, I know last week I slacked and only put out two podcasts. I apologize. One for Bl uh, Bulletproof Screenplay and one for Indie Film Hustle. I am sorry. I was busy doing insane stuff, and I got a lot of stuff cooking, so I had to, unfortunately, only deliver two. Please forgive me. But this week, because I'm nuts, we're going to be putting out four podcasts, four podcast episodes. So you'll get two, uh, three Indie Film Hustles and one Bulletproof Screenplay. Because I love you guys, and I want to make sure you guys get the content that I promise I'm going to get you. Now, today's guest is producer Major Dodge, who produced an amazing film called Bomb City. If you guys have not seen Bomb City or have not even heard of it, go to the show notes at IndieFilmMuscle.com forward slash 248, and you can see the trailer for the movie. It's available at all, uh, anywhere you want, iTunes, Amazon, so on. It's everywhere. And I... It's an amazing story of how the movie got put together, uh, how it got a theatrical release, how uh, Major and his other producing co-producers were able to really understand the market that they were going after, the audience they were going after, and how they attacked that audience, made sure that that audience was very well aware of the project, and is based on a true story, a very sad true story, how they were able to obtain the rights to that story uh, and produce a very polished high-end indie movie that they had complete control over and they got distribution through gravitas they got a theatrical release and on top of that they also sell merch uh for the movie as well so i really wanted to dig in with major about how they did everything they did on this movie uh how they're producing their merch how they thought about their marketing plan their distribution plan how they got the financing for it and much, much more. This is definitely a indie film hustle kind of film because they really hustled all the way for it. So without any further ado, 
please enjoy my conversation with Major Dodge. I'd like to welcome to the show Major Dodge, man. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. I appreciate it, man. You guys reached out to me about your movie Bomb City, and when I saw it and I saw the story about the behind the scenes story about it and just what's happened with it, I'm like, I gotta get these guys on the show. I want to hear this story, um, even if it's just a selfish. Just I want to know <laughs> how you did it. So before we get into it, how did you get into the film industry in the first place? Yeah, so I started in front of the camera. Um, I've been act, been an actor since I was a kid, and then professionally, uh, right after college, I moved to New York City, and I lived in Manhattan for eleven years. And so, you know, worked as an actor in the theater and uh, you know on TV and, and film and stuff like that. And then in 2010, as fate would have it, uh, I um, you know had a son and relocated to Dallas to to be dad. And you can't really be a full time actor um, in the Dallas market. No, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm from the Miami market. I know what you mean. <laughs> well, I was at a I was at a Christmas party at Mark Colombo's house, who's an offensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh-huh. And uh, in addition to getting meet getting to meet Tony Romo and Jason Witten, uh, he introduced me to a couple of his, of his buddies that had just been working on a music video for him. Uh, in 2012, the NFL went on strike, and um, it was funny because ESPN did this big story on what you know football players were doing. Uh, in the wake of the strike and uh, a couple of the Cowboys, they formed a rock band called free rain <laughs> and they needed a music video done. So he met Mark, met Jamie and Sheldon and, uh, and I knew Mark from uh, acting class mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he, he told them about me and told me about them. And he was for months, he was like, man, you guys got to work together. You guys got to work together. He's like, you all would make such a great team if you, if you guys teamed up. And so we've been hearing about each other for a while and we were at the Christmas party and Mark just came up and uh, was like, hey, this is Jamie and Sheldon. These guys are telling you about that did, did our music video. And he's like, this is major. This is the guy I was telling you about. And we just kind of hit it off. And uh, the first week of uh, January of 2013, uh, Jamie, uh, he had put together uh, a preliminary uh, lookbook, um, sure. you know, a pitch deck where he took some sample images and, uh, you know, wrote about the story in it and whatnot. And, uh, and he gave it to me like the second week of January. And immediately I was like, oh my gosh, I remember exactly where I was when this story happened. I remember what I was mm-hmm. doing. It was one of those things that just stuck with me. Um, like 9-11, I knew right sure. where, where I was at and what I was doing. And, 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 and I, couldn't, I couldn't believe that no one had you know, made a movie on it yet. And so um, you know, I'm, v- I'm very visual. And so I immediately started seeing you know, like punk rockers in the middle of dusty steer pastures and uh, thinking about how pretty it would look. And, um, but you know, all that kind of went out the window, as I mentioned already, I'm a father. And when I got to meet Mike Dennecke face to face and talk about it and, you know, 17 years later, and when he talked about his son, it was like, as if it happened yesterday. Right. And I, I knew in that moment, and that's the reason I got into movies anyway, because I wanted to experience that human connection and I wanted to tell stories that mattered. And, you know, I mean, we can only make so many movies about big green ogres saving the planet um, you know. <laughs> There's and there, and there is their place for the big green ogres to save the planet, but <laughs> but you know that's why I love indie film because you know you get to do character driven stories that um, you know that uh, really can affect people. You know it's not often that people you know read a newspaper article or watch a news story and they get moved to tears, but I think that's what's powerful about the cinema is we really have the opportunity when done right to uh, elicit change in people and to start good conversations, and I think that's what we're really able to do uh, with Bomb City. Now, did you uh, now um, to back up a little bit? You were also in uh, an MMA fighter at one point. Oh gosh, man! You must you must have googled me. Um, <laughs> I did one. I did one MMA fight. Um, I uh, I wrestled my entire life, so I was a sure. college wrestler, uh-huh. um, and uh, actually coach my son's wrestling team right now. But um, yeah, no, I I I, um, I come from a, a sports background, and you know, I think that's one of the things that kind of probably gave me a little bit of a competitive edge. Uh, when I got into producing, because as you know, the first thing you got to do is find the money, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and then uh, wrestle, wrestlers. and then wrestle it out of them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's it. In the conversation, <laughs> and it comes, you just put them in a in a sleeper hole, and that's it. Like, just give me the money, go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> wrestlers have an uncanny ability to be able to overcome adversity when everything's stacked against them, and in the face of adversity, to to be able to just keep moving forward and keep pressing towards the goal. And I think that's one of the things that. Uh, wrestling uh, taught me and and, and kind of gives me an edge as a producer because when I set my mind to something, you know, when the train's on the tracks, it's it's going to get moving. And so, um, 
Yeah, but no, I'm not. I'm not a, an MMA fighter. <laughs> Although Robbie Lawler, ruthless Robbie Lawler, who's a, an MMA fighter, he plays my cop partner in Bomb City. You might have noticed that. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I don't. Do you watch UFC? I have. I, have, I haven't in a bit, but I, I'm familiar with the UFC world. I well, have followed it. Knows, yeah, they know ruthless Robbie Lawler. He's a. Uh, He's a he's a bit of a stud. <laughs> so. Now now, talk a little bit about Bomb City because for people who don't know the story, yeah. what is the story of Bomb City? Yeah, so Bomb City uh, it's it's a story that took place in Amarillo, Texas, in 1997. It's about a it's basically about a group of high school football jocks that are having a turf war with a group of punk rockers, <laughs> and uh, it results in a, a hate crime that kind of questions the morality of the American justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, a kid loses his life. And, um, you know, um, it was a widely publicized thing. It was on Oprah, Dateline, 2020. Marilyn Manson spoke out about it. He's in our film. Uh, the Dropkick Murphys, they, they're a famous punk band. They wrote a song about it. But it's about the life of Brian Dinicky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'll go ahead and tell you what happens. Basically, you know, a punk rocker loses his life at the hands of a football player. His football jock shows up to the fight. And rather than get out of the car and fight, he decides to slam on the gas and just oh. run, and run over the punk rocker. And so... Um, you know, a lot of times I don't like to tell what happens because there's a whole build up to the, to the thing, the way we, sure. uh, our story unravels, you think one thing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically we, you know, we use the courtroom in the film and so you never see what side the attorney's arguing on. So the whole time you're watching the film until the end, you think that a punk rocker murdered a football player. Oh. And, and so in reality, but you know, Hey, you went to see the Titanic, you knew the ship was sinking. It's, it's really about everything. That <laughs> right. Exactly. So. If it's done right. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I can remember when Titanic came, I was like, what? No one's going to go see that. We all know how it ends. But I tell you, when we were touring the festivals, man, you know, um, when somebody would come in completely blind, you yeah. just really see the difference. Cause it was like a big punch to the gut sure. because the whole time they're thinking, and that's the message of the story. It's about not judging a book by its cover. Right. Um, you know, you know, when I was raising money for the film, I'd, I'd, I'd get down you know, towards the end of uh, an investor meeting. And so when the verdict was read, Marilyn Manson, he gave this speech at a unity and diversity conference. It was called uh, the Disinfo Conference back in uh, like the year 2000. And um, if you've ever heard Marilyn Manson talk, man, the guy's just, uh, you know, he's he's an entertainer. He's, he's a genius. Mm-hmm. And very, very, uh, he's very profound and he, and he yes. speaks eloquently. You know, very, yeah, eloquently. He has a very soothing tone to his voice also. And so, um, you know, I was raising money in the Bible about capital of the South. And so Yeah, how did you, you know, how I, did you raise money? How <laughs> did you go about raising the the budget for this? And if you don't want me asking, do you do you want to share the budget or at least their budget range? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll get I'll get to all that. But um what I was saying was that uh, with Manson is that I would, you know, get towards the end of a meeting and I, and, 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 and if, if we had a car out in the parking lot, let's say I was at like a dinner meeting or something, I'd say, Hey, come sit in my car. I want to play something for you. Or if I didn't have that opportunity, I'd say, here, put these earphones in and listen to this. And I'd play this speech for them. And at the end of it, I'd say, so who do you, who do you think that was you just listened to? Cause he, he was talking about, right. um, and, and, the, and, and we incorporate this in the film. You'll, you, you'll hear the, the speech in the film. But he was talking about Brian and and uh, just basically, you know, the American justice system and whatnot, and uh, and the event that took place. And they'd say, I'd say, so who do you think that was? And they'd say, um, like a maybe like a lawyer or a politician, <laughs> and and you know somebody super intelligent. And then I'd go, that was Marilyn Manson. And then their jaw would hit the floor, and they'd go, no way. No. <laughs> and I'd say, that's the movie. And and they go, just take my money, just take my money, just take my money. Yeah, that was always that was always what I called the nail in the coffin. That was like my secret weapon, I'd say for the end. But to answer your previous question, it's it's a low budget film, but when you watch the film, it looks amazing. It, it yeah, it it looks and sounds amazing. And um, you know, um, we always felt the story was the star. You know, we don't have any A listers, no big big movie stars in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, we got a bunch of people who I think are going to be stars, and that's that's the beauty of you know doing films like this is that like you know you know five years from now when one of these kids you know they're in the right age range when these kids blow up everyone's gonna go back and watch well let me ask you let me ask you a question as a producer though going into a movie like this so what was the budget range if you don't mind me asking i'm sorry what was the budget range if you don't mind me asking um half a million dollars all right so half a million dollars for a movie with no stars attached um has some i'm assuming some action but mostly a drama yeah have you have you did you I, get to see the film i did yet? not get i did not get a chance to see the film i only saw the trailer of it 
and the trailer does look pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, we, we, um, we always felt like the story was the star. So we didn't feel like, you know, we needed to, uh, have a big A-list, uh, actor in there. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's funny cause I was listening to one of your podcasts yesterday and the Duplass brothers were talking about, and you were talking about, you know, don't make a $700,000 movie if you've never made, you know, right. a $70,000 movie right. or, you know, make 10, $70,000 movies. And that was kind of the thing, you know, we, we had already made short films and, you know, as an actor, I've worked on all different types of budgets, but sure. uh, as a team, you know, we made, we made short films and, you know, we worked together making commercials and music videos. And so we, um, we, uh, we didn't want to make the first film for, you know, $5 million. Sure. So, um, you know, we felt that that was a budget range where we could pay our investors back because, you know, what's the old saying go? Don't, don't sell a guy one car selling, selling, you know, five cars over 15 years. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, but, but a half a million dollar budget to recoup in today's world is without any major stars in it, um, is pretty intense, but you were right. You, you were, you were trying to tap into, the people who knew the story, or at least you could put the story out there and that would be the attraction to the property or to the movie. Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we knew the audience was there and I always knew the audience was, was bigger than what even, you know, some of the investors that did invest, I mean, I always knew that the audience was bigger than what they, they may have even originally perceived, but you know, we knew we had, we we knew we had the punk rock community, Mm -hmm. which is a, is a big community in itself. Yeah. And then we also, you know, true crime enthusiasts, Mm-hmm. And um, you know the movie has you know skateboarding and graffiti, and so we knew there were a lot of built-in audiences. But really, too, you know, it's just you know the the story itself, you know, had already been wide and far. I mean, when we announced that we, you know, before we had even had day one of principal, you know, we had people from all over the country that were sent messages on Facebook, and you know, Brian's story went far and wide. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, like I said, in, in America, it was you know it was on Dateline, it was on Twenty Twenty. Um, MTV did a documentary called MTV True Crime, Punks wow. vs. Preps. Uh, Manson spoke out about it. The Dropkick Murphys wrote a song about it. Uh, so you had a lot of built. So you had a fairly large built-in audience or awareness yeah. of the property. Exactly. I'm, exactly. I'm, tr- I'm, I'm saying all this so everybody who's listening understands why something, why the the route that you went makes sense and was successful. Because if you don't understand that they. That the like you don't have a built-in audience, or you don't have a property or awareness of a of a film. This 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 work. This could be disastrous. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I always ask anybody when they come to me and they're thinking about, you know, they want to make a movie. I say, well, who's going to watch your movie? Right. And if they if they if they can't tell me that, I say, well, come back to me when you can tell me who who's going to watch your movie. You know. <laughs> exactly. So, so so when you were raising the money, you literally were just kind of going around to different investors and doing pitch decks and just trying to. Just try to scrape the money together. Yeah, well, we had a, we we had a pitch deck, but I mean, the first thing I did, I went to I went to um, Office Depot and I bought this big white dry erase board, mm-hmm. and I you know I wrote Bomb City real big at the top of it, and then I started, and then once I got into the money raising part, you know, after we had all the life rights, after we had the PPM in place, after basically you know all of our ducks were in a row, I I went on that board and I wrote every single person that I thought. I, that I had ever met that had money that yep. I could get direct access to. And I just started hitting people up. And it's funny, the first investor, cause you, you know, you brought up wrestling before. So mm-hmm. there, there was a big wrestling connection behind the movie. Um, my first investor. So I had a buddy named Rick Cruz and Rick was working for a guy, uh, as his web designer. And, um, this guy's named Steve Silver, who's, who's one of my best friends now, but he's in the wrestling hall of fame. All of his sons wrestled in college. Mm-hmm. And, Rick had walked, uh, Steve had walked into Rick's office and he was like, Hey Rick. Uh, and Steve's a big furniture guys, Steve silver furniture. Um, mm-hmm. like the only brand of furniture they sell at Costco. Okay. And, uh, anyway, so oh, that's, Steve he's walks, doing all right then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Steve walks into Rick's office. He said, Hey Rick, look, in all my years of being hit up for investments, he's like, no one's ever asked me to invest in a movie before. And he throws down a pitch deck for Dixieland. There's a movie with, uh, Faith Hill and, uh, RJ Mitri from, okay. uh, the kid from Breaking Bad uh-huh, uh-huh. and a few other people, but they'd already made the movie, but they needed finishing funds. They oh, didn't, they didn't have enough money to finish the movie. And Rick goes, Oh really? He goes, my friend major actually just started raising money for a movie. He's like, here, watch this. And he pulls up on his, on his, um, he pulls up on his computer, this short film we did in 2014 called behold the noose. Mm-hmm. And we made that movie for $400 
on our black magic cameras that movie the four hundred dollars two hundred dollars went to because i'm the only actor and it went to my police uniform and to rent the police cruiser mm-hmm. and we made that film and it played in like 19 festivals at one short of the week it was in the new york times it was one of the 20 scariest shortest films online nice uh and we made that for 400 bucks and in 24 hours and so uh, it's a nine and a half minute movie. You can watch it for free on Vimeo, but, uh, I put it on, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. He, uh, he, he plays it for Steve and they, he sits there and he watches the whole nine and a half minutes. And he says to Rick, he goes, you know that guy? And he's like, yeah. He said, why don't you invite him out to Vegas with us this weekend? And so they were going out there. Cause Steve also, uh, invests in a MMA gym and mm-hmm. one of the fighters were fighting, oddly enough, were, was fighting Robbie Lawler for the title, <laughs> okay. uh, which is really crazy. And that's a whole nother story in itself. Sure. That's, and so I got invited out to Vegas for the weekend, just off the strength of uh, him seeing that short film. But then when Steve got on the phone with me, it came out that I also was a college wrestler and was coaching my kids' wrestling team. Sure, and you had a connection. And, and that's what I tell people. I'm like, like attracts like. So in addition, I always say, in addition to, to knowing who your audience is, also know uh, who wants that film. You know, I, Somebody hit me up last week about a golf movie. I hate golf. I like wrestling and watching <laughs> and sports where people punch each other in the face. Sure. Like, bro, come to me with a golf movie. I'm not, I don't want to make a movie about a golfer. I don't care how, how awesome the story is, you know? But, um, and, and the investors are the same way. Sure. And so I tell people, I'm like, find out who, who in, in, in that audience has money and who would want that film mm-hmm. and, uh, and go after them. And that's kind of how, you know, Steve kind of fell in my lap through, just through my mutual friend. And so I went to Vegas for the weekend and probably talked about the film once or twice because it was all about fighting and just about building relationships mm-hmm. and meeting people, just having a good time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when we got back, I said, hey, I'd like to uh, take you out to lunch and tell you, you and your wife and tell you about this project I'm working on. He's like, yeah, sure. And, you know, we went out to lunch on a Wednesday and, and on Friday he, he wrote me a check. So Wow. And that started the and that started the ball rolling. That puts the train on the tracks. Yeah, that's the first money. And I always say uh, I call it Emily money. Early money is like yeast. Yeah. So you got to <laughs> get that first money in. It just starts growing from there. And, and it makes it real too because right. until you got that first money in the bank, you're, 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 you're questioning if you can do it right. and you're, you're – you know, and, and, and that's because you may not necessarily believe in it and, and, and you, and you need to believe in it wholeheartedly or you got no business of doing it. Cause I, I've got friends who make movies just to build IMDb credits. I'm like, no, sure. I, I want to make movies that I believe in 110%. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what bomb city was for me. I, I believed that's in awesome, the, the, the heart and, and, and I, and I fell in love with Mike and Betty Dinicky and I wanted to get their son's story out there. So now how did you, how did you approach getting life rights? Cause I know that's something that a lot of people listening don't even have a clue on how to do so. You hear this story and you're like, I got to go get the rights, the movie rights. This, how? Do, what's the process of that? Yeah, so there's a couple things. So um, if you don't have life rights from the people, you can buy uh, the rights to a book or you can buy the rights to a news story or a newspaper article. Mm-hmm. Um, or you, you know, you, if you can get to the people, um, you, can, you can do it that way. And that's what we were able to do. Uh, we were able to get to all the, all the real people and uh, basically, uh, Jamie's Jamie, the director, his mom uh, knew someone who knew the Dinnikes, mm-hmm. and uh, and she got us in contact with them. And so, uh, just went over yeah. and pitched them. I'm like, hey, look, this is what we've done before. And- yeah. yeah, they so what, so what had happened was so they had they they had uh, sold the rights to a guy named Norm Green, who's mm-hmm. a, a film professor at NYU, and he made the documentary that MTV bought and released as MTV True Crime okay. back you know 17 years ago. And then, um, and then he renewed it cause you get, you get, when you get the rights, you get them for a period of five years mm-hmm. and then he renewed them. And then, and then in 2007, he didn't renew it. So he either, you know, just figured, Hey, I made the documentary or just, you know, I don't know if he couldn't, you know, get the money in place or whatever, but he, you know, in, in 07, the, the rights, you know, went back to the family and, and he, and so you had, you know, all these years where, where they thought a movie was going to be done and they kind of got their hopes up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when we came in. And, and that was the other thing, too, is that so Jamie, uh, the director, and Sheldon, the writer, they're both from Amarillo, mm-hmm. where the story takes place. And so that was one of the things I kind of used to my benefit. You know, I, I talked about in uh, this, the article I may have shared with you that I wrote, mm-hmm. um, you know, the unknown director and no A-list actor. That's like your two biggest. Uh, Ooh, yeah, I saw that. I was like, this is this yeah. his first time feature. He'd done shorts, a lot of shorts, but exactly. so you, exactly. you really had a lot going against you guys. 
Yeah, I did. But, 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 you know, it's about having that belief in the story and the belief in yourself. And, you know, I come from a sales background. I've, I've always done sales jobs to support my acting habit. Um, I used to sell coupons on the street with Chris Pratt. I like, I like, I like that you call it a, a, an acting habit, <laughs> like it's a dr- exactly. like a drug habit or an alcohol habit. It really is, man. It really is. <laughs> so you used to sell uh, coupons with Chris Pratt. Well, he had a he had a company like mine. It was like a competing office, basically. But yeah, we sell we sell these gift certificates out on the out on the streets to uh, anybody, and we had like these chants and. Uh, Things we would we would say to get motivated to go out. He talked about it on Conan, and I was cracking up. But um, <laughs> so you know, I, you know, I have a, I have a sales background, and so I kind of just you know, I, 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 one of the things that you learn in, in sales is that people usually perceive things the way that it's initially pitched to them. Mm-hmm. And so, and if you pitch if you pitch with passion and you and you believe in your story, you know, I think you can. A lot of people come in and they pitch on all these other things, tax incentives, for example, and right. and, and sell. So, in my background, you know, I, we call that pitching off failure. So I, I never go in and lead and talk about numbers. I always save that for last because I feel like people invest in stories and invest in people. Absolutely. You can influence people and win them over and, 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 and you can show them that you have a vision. That's the thing. Even if, you di- if, even if they disagree with you, if, you, know, you, you, can't, you got to speak up for your vision and you can't be a pushover. And, uh, and, I, and I think it's what we're really good at doing. So with Jamie, for example – unknown director, when I would come into the meeting, I would say, Hey, listen, we've got a guy who is going to be the next big thing. <laughs> you know, he, he's done all these shorts. He hasn't done a feature yet. And uh, he's from Amarillo. So he lived through the story. Mm. He's going to be able to come in and tell the story in a way that, you know, some big director from Hollywood's not going to be able to do because he lived through it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then also with it being his first feature, we're going to get more bang for our buck. He's going to, you know, uh, direct and edit the film, and he's gonna and he's gonna do it for a lot less than what some you know big 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 name director with a huge resume already has. And, and, he, so and, he, and he did have some stuff that you could show people as well. Yeah, yeah, and they, and you could see that his style, like even in Behold the Noose, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, it's only a, you know a four hundred dollar film, but you could see the visual style. You know, mm-hmm. Jamie came from a background of, of BMX and skateboarding, so he's really good with action. Um, you know, he, he, that's how he got into the videos. He started picking up the camera and just shooting all of his BMX and skater friends. And so, uh, yeah. So he used to make skate videos and BMX videos, like starting at age 15. And so, you know, I'd come in and I'd lead and when I'd lead with that, they never got to have, they never got to have that go through their head. Oh, Hey, this is an unknown director and, you know, and, and all that. And I think it was cause, you know, I would go, go in and I would lead with it because I knew ahead of time what my pitfalls were. So there was nothing that they could say in the meeting that would stump me or throw me off because I already knew it. Mm-hmm. And when I would lead with it, it would never even be, it would never be an issue. They saw it as a positive, believe it or not. Wow. And, and the crazy thing about bomb city is out of the 11 investors, out of the 11 people that invested in the movie, only one person read the script. <laughs> Isn't that Hollywood? <laughs> Even though it's not Hollywood, but it is Hollywood. <laughs> I would just go in and I would and, and and you know, I would sell them the story and, and I they just, believed you and they just believed you. You know, and I, that's what Steve said. Steve Steve, Steve was the first person. You know, I talked to him on the phone and I, I couldn't stop thanking him because he was a, you know, he was the first person and he was making a, a large investment. And uh I couldn't stop thinking him. He said, "Hey, he said he goes, "You don't have to say anything else." He said, "I'm investing in you. I believe you're going to be successful. He said, and that's why I'm, I'm giving you money. Wow. That's awesome, man. That's really awesome. Sorry. So you got the movie done. By the way, what did you shoot on? Did you shoot on Black Magic, Larry? No, no. We shot on the Red Weapon uh, oh, sure. 6K. Yeah, with uh, anamorphic lens. So the music, nice. the, the film's beautiful. Yeah, it looks gorgeous. Really? It, look, it looks stunning. Yeah. It really did. So the movie's done now. It's edited. What was your distribution plan? Or what? Well, first of all, did you go out to film festivals first, and and then did that did, did make your decision on your distribution plan, or did you have a distribution plan off the top? No, we 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 were going to go to the festival. Um, you know, we had a plan which included um, you know um, the first tier. You know, trying to get into the to the festivals, mm-hmm. and so um, we we finished filming in August of uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Sundance deadline was, I think, October. Mm-hmm. You had plenty so of time. So we, <laughs> Sorry. We had two months. And That's so, plenty of time. What are you talking about? 
Well, it is. It was plenty of time to send them a uh, a rough two time. hour and twenty seven minute uh, version of our hour Ooh. and thirty five movie. Rough. <laughs> <laughs> so we sent them a two hour and twenty seven minute version, no. and needless to say, we didn't get into Sundance, but our hopes our hopes weren't crushed by that because we knew we didn't we didn't we we hadn't found the film yet. Sure. But the, the movie's not not uh, ninety eight minutes now. Oh, and, um, <laughs> it's a big yeah. change. It's a huge change, yeah, and so it's it's you know it's it's very dark and ominous throughout, and um, you know it wasn't that yet, and so um, so we held off. We said let's wait till we get it right, and then um, the the president of the Dallas International Film Festival is a, is a, was a friend of mine, and he happened to come over to uh, actually to Jamie's apartment building, and, and we had a they had a, a screening room in there mm-hmm. uh, in downtown Dallas, and he came over, and he was like, oh my gosh, he's like, yeah, we have to we have to show this, and so. You know, we, we thought about holding off until we got an you know an answer from somewhere else, like you know Tribeca or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then we just started thinking about it. We're like, look, this is our hometown. We yeah. made it here. All the crew is from here. I mean, we only flew in you know six actors from LA. Everyone else is a Texas actor. Um, you know, it would just be it just it just started making sense, and we were like, all right. And we'd already found out we're going to play at Nashville, sure. and and, Nash- and Nashville didn't need to be uh, world. It did. Yeah, it didn't need to be a world premiere. And so we're like, okay. And so it was really funny because right after we got announced that um, we were uh, playing at, at Dallas, uh, we got a message from Drea Clark, who's the programmer at LA Film Festival. And she was like, no, I was about to offer you guys to play out here. And she's like, James is my friend. I'm going to call him and tell him off because you're not going to get distribution there. And if you play at LA Film Festival, you're going to get distribution and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Oh, no, like, no. It's vicious, dude. I've been there. They they, <laughs> they will cut each other's balls right off <laughs> to, get a, to get a premiere. I've had people call. I had someone call me a week before a world premiere of one of my films. And offer to give me like the world if I would just pull out of that yeah. festival. It's insane what they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily it didn't get that aggressive because they, they 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 were they were friends and they knew each other. But she was trying everything to get us to play at LA Film Festival, and you know, and then of course we're like, well, yeah, we want to come to LA with the film and play there. Sure. Is there any way you can just do a California only premiere? And I guess a, a few years ago they they switched and they they only do they only do world premieres now. So, but, uh, so, 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 so bougie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we played Dallas. We won the audience award for best narrative feature. Uh, the movie Great. sold out in 14 minutes. It said it was the fastest sell in the history of the Dallas International Film Festival. That makes sense. And, uh, and so then we went to Nashville and at Nashville, we also won the audience award for best narrative feature and we won best actor. Nice. Best lead actor. And then from there we went to Bend and we won best director at Bend Film. And then we won uh, Audience Award Best Narrative Feature at Tallgrass Film Festival. And you just kept going and going and going. And we just kept going, yeah. We played nine festivals and we won at every single one. Now, did you get any offers? We did. So so Nashville did have uh, quite a few distributors on hand. Mm-hmm. And so when we played in Nashville, that's when the conversation started happening. I was, um, you know, I got hit up by uh, uh, Voltage and uh, Samuel Goldwyn and, um, you know, a uh, few other, few other uh, smaller companies, uh, and then Broadgreen, and then ultimately we ended up going with Gravitas because Gravitas um, they wanted to take it theatrical, and we thought you know it was important to us to have the have the film play in theaters and not just be a you know direct to um, streaming sure, or DVD. Of yeah, DVD or yeah. streaming. Now, did you? Um, how many theaters did you go out and? We released us on uh, February 9th. We released to seventeen cities. Nice. And yeah. How do, and how to do? It, it did really well. It did really well. We had a. We were on a box office mojo. We had you know our our, our average was higher than you know a, a lot of studio pictures. Nice. And so uh, yeah, and it got extended in several cities. And uh, yeah, it's just been and it's still it's still you know it's been a, like a slow burn. It's still going. I mean, we just uh, People Magazine uh, picked up the film like three weeks ago. We were in People. Yeah, um, how, how did you get? How did you get a lot of this? Because uh, I saw some of the news outlets that were covering you guys, and for an indie movie, it's it's a, you got some major players. So how did you get that? Yeah, so I was very strategic with it. Um, uh, so um, we dropped the trailer on December twelfth, two thousand seventeen, which was the twenty year anniversary of Brian's death. He died December twelfth, nineteen ninety seven, and so we had been hitting up. Uh, we hit up some uh, actually. Um, a write, a freelance writer from Vulture uh, had hit us up, and she had heard about the movie and the story, 
uh, and knew it was going to be the 20 anniversary and she wanted to pitch it to Vulture. Mm-hmm. And so she pitched it to Vulture and Vulture passed. She goes, but uh, Vice, uh, somebody at Vice um, uh, overheard me talking about it and they want the story. Nice. And so, yeah. And so Vice picked it up and on December 12th, 20 year to the day of Brian's death, Vice released a big article. And we dropped the trailer exclusively uh, on December 12th through Vice. Of course. <laughs> and then we opened, up, we opened our pre-orders. That, so we did a day and date release. So we opened our pre-orders that day as well with mm-hmm. uh, with iTunes. Uh-huh. And, and then, so yeah. and it went crazy. And then, uh, yeah. And then so it just started coming from there. And then, you know, we uh, were, were fr- certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. We Variety, Hollywood Reporter, uh, all, um, you know, favorable reviews and um, – Daily Beast, and so we got a lot of good, a lot of good uh, reviews. And then um, this past November, um, I actually played uh, John Gotti on a, a TV show called Murder Made Me Famous. Okay, and um, and um, Steve Helling, who's the senior crime reporter at People Magazine, I met him because he does the commentary for the TV show. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was it's just amazing. one of these exactly. And so he he uh, he started following me on Instagram. And he sent me a message to tell me how good he thought my John Gotti was. And I, you know, and I immediately said, thank you. I'm a big fan of you in the show. And then I just, you know, I, I, I told him, you know, about the movie and I said, Hey, you know, I know you're the senior crime reporter people. Is that, is this something that you might be interested in covering us? You know? And I just, I, I didn't, I, I was pretty close to begging, but I don't think I quite begged. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, pretty no, close. it's pretty close. That's fine. <laughs> I beg. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, he said he was going to do it, and then uh, you know it came around, and then Parkland happened, and then he had to push it back, and then and then uh, you know and the, and the, and there was all, I didn't think it was going to happen, and then finally I just I reached out again. I was like, hey, our DVD and Blu-ray Blu-ray releases on um, April 9th. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any way you could do it? And uh, he he followed he uh, he 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 made good on his promise, and so yeah. Um, he, uh, did a big write up and yeah, we were in people magazine and the, the trailer and, and everything it was pretty cool. So that's, that's amazing. So it's, yeah. it really, you guys really were blessed in so many ways during this, we this whole process. We had a punk angel helping us. There's no question. There's absolutely <laughs> no question because a lot of the things that I preach against you guys did, but again, <laughs> which is, which is great. And I love that. But I always – that's one of the reasons I wanted you on the show because I wanted to break down like why did it work. And right. the end of the day, it's a story. The, the national awareness of the story and the story itself, the power of that story. And that's what was able to break through all of those things that first-time director, you know, half-million-dollar budget, no major stars – basically coming not out of New York or LA, but coming out of Texas. Like there's so many things going against the movie, but you understood that like, no, we've got something here. And that happens all the time. I mean, Puffy Chair for the two plus brothers, I mean, you know, came out of nowhere as well. And they were in Austin. So it's doable, but it was very interesting. That's one of the reasons I wanted to kind of break down how you did this because it's a pretty, pretty remarkable story. Yeah, yeah, it's funny you you talk about breaking rules too. So I actually I cast the film as well. Of course, and, of course um, you did. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't <laughs> everybody you? Everybody wore like four hats, you know. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to be in indie. I mean, come on, if you've got a trailer and you got everyone with a job, I'm like, that's just not an indie film anymore. Well, here's here's a little tidbit for any actors that are listening about an actor that broke a rule. So so the actor that plays Jason Dinicky in the film, mm-hmm. um, his name is Dominic Ryan Gabriel, and uh, we put the, the 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 casting breakdown out um, for the for the roles that you know we didn't do offers on, and one of them was for Jason Dinicky, Brian's brother, and I get uh, an an email and a phone call. From this actor, he somehow got my information and pitching himself for an audition. He he didn't live in L.A. He had moved back to Detroit and didn't have an agent, but he knew the story and he was just so passionate about it and how much it, it spoke to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you never do that as an actor. No, I'm going to call up the casting director and, and and ask for an audition. But there was that part of me, you know, who comes from a you know a, a commission cold call solicitation sales background, <laughs> as I already mentioned. And I'm like, you know what? Freaking, I like the kid. I, I like I like the balls it took to do that. And I'm like, sure, you know what? Here, I'm going to email you the sides. 
So there's, here's the moral of the story. If you're going to break the rules, you better be ready to deliver. And I sent Dominic the audition. Mm-hmm. Two hours later, I had his audition back. He was completely off book. And he had two very um, contrasting uh, auditions, two, two, two sets of sides. Sure. Yeah, two sets of sides. And he did the emotional scene. The, the, first, the first scene, it's the emotional scene where um, you know, the death happens uh-huh. and, his brother's, and his brother's dying in his arms. Right. And he did that scene and he popped right up after that scene and he had te- the tears going and everything and he popped right up and he wasn't in a studio. He was right in his apartment and, and, he, looked ex- and he looked the part, man. And his head was already shaved and he's got the tattoos and, and he gets right up and he, and he grabs a beer, sits on the counter, he pops open the beer, takes a drink. And he's in the other scene without a break, without a cut, nothing. He rolls right into it. And it was so effortless. Wow. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to be one of those stories that I tell forever because he did everything you're not supposed to do. And he's getting the part. Like I, we didn't watch another audition for that role after that. I, I, like I called Jamie in the room. I was like, come here, come here. You have to see this. I found the guy. And uh, everyone agreed immediately. That's, that was the dude. It's ama- it's ama- well, that makes perfect sense for this kind of film. For this film specifically, which everything was – you're breaking all the rules. Why wouldn't you break the rules when you're casting? <laughs> you just got to know the rules, Absolutely. I think, to break. <laughs> and, I, and, and you know what? Look, and he also did his homework. And he also knew how to connect with whoever he was aiming at. Like, I know the story. It really connects with me. It's not just like a cold call. Hi, I'm an actor. I heard you were doing a movie. I'd love to hear about yeah. it. He did his homework before he, he, he reached was perfect. out. It was perfect. For, and he's the lead singer in a metal band of his own. And it was just – Sure. It just made sense. Yeah. It just made sense. So Now, how did you uh, come up with the idea for selling limited edition merchandise, which is something I preach so much about trying to find other revenue streams that the movie can help sell and, and generate for the property Man, in general? We wish we'd have done that when we were on our festival tour because, mm. I mean, people – you know, it's just the type of film that has that kind of – Oh, you yeah. Know, it's it, punk rock. You the, know, ima- the imagery is amazing. The poster's amazing, of course. Well, um, the way we got, so our merch is, is, uh, is licensed. It's being sold by killer merch okay. who is, and killer merch is a division of Sumerian records. Mm-hmm. They're, um, one of the top metal, uh, rock labels. They've got like Jonathan Davis and, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, the guy that started Sumerian records, his name's Ash, uh, Avildsen. His dad was John Avildsen, the director of Rocky and Karate Kid, but Ash sure. just released American Satan, which mm-hmm. is, uh, an indie film about a metal band who makes a deal with the devil. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to to become famous. It's kind of like a like a the, a twist on the George that George Burns movie. Right. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So Ash um, was um, when you buy his movie, it, it says viewers also bought, and Bomb City kept popping up as mm-hmm. the first movie. As that pe- people also bought our movie and his movie, and he looked and he and he and he and he, and he bought it. And he watched it, and he and he was and he and he loved it, and uh, he tracked me down and was like, "How can we team up? How can we? What can I do to help you? Is this? Are you? Do you already have you know DVD distribution? Can I get this? Help you get this into FYE? And you know, and, and he's like, "Have you got merch yet?" And so he really just that's awesome. took, a, took a hold of the movie, and so Ash has become a good friend of mine, and uh, so we're doing all of our merch through Killer Merch, and uh, his record label Sumerian is getting ready to release our soundtrack. Nice. Well. And, uh, yeah. And he's getting, uh, he's getting, you know, hard, uh, uh, with the, there's not a lot, a lot of stores left like that. Um, but, um, he's getting the, the, uh, hard, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays, uh, into, uh, like FYE and stuff like that. So he's helping with that. And then he's getting, uh, he's, uh, getting our t-shirt into hot topic as well. That's so, awesome, man. It's just all, yeah, it's all, you know, and that's extra money. That's ex- basically extra revenue that has nothing to do with distribution or anything like that. That goes directly to you guys. Um, correct. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the dream. That's the dream. If, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it is. If you can make a little money with the movie that's great. But then as George Lucas says, the money's in the lunch boxes. <laughs> and we had all this laid out. This isn't like, Oh, we just, you know, even though that kind of was like fortuitous, like him, sure. him hitting us up and everything, but we laid all this out. We had a plan to do this stuff. You know, if it hadn't been with him, it'd have been somewhere else. Sure. But we, we, we utilized a lot of forward thinking and that was all, you know, uh, in that pitch deck. And that's another reason why I, I don't think uh, a lot of people even, 
read the script just because everything was so spelled out and they could see it. And, you know, they could see that, you know, with the images that Jamie picked out and the way that he, you know, he designed the, the lookbook and the website and everything, they could just could see, they could see the movie with the story I told. And then with the, um, um, assets that, that, uh, that Jamie and Sheldon were able to give me. Man, congratulations, man. Seriously, you guys have done an amazing thing. You First of all, you're a successful independent film. So that alone is applause worthy. Uh, but you guys are killing it. And, and how you did it, um, you know, coming out of nowhere, you know, uh, is, is pretty inspiring. So uh, thank you for sharing your story, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Alex, man. It's been a pleasure. So now I'm going to ask you a few questions okay. that yeah. I ask all of my guests. Um, okay. It's kind of like a speed round. So, um, what advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business today? Um, my advice would be if you know hundred percent that you couldn't be happy doing anything else than to go for it, but you have to be all in. You can't just be, it's not, it's not one of those things that you can just do. And, um, you know, maybe if it happens and wait on the phone to ring, you've got to have a vision pinpoint laser focus. Um, and you've got to be able to say no to distractions because it's not about what you want. It's about what you want most. And, um, things are going to come along and try to knock you off focus. And that's why, um, you know, that's why you need a lookbook. That's why you need a vision board in your bedroom. That's why you need notes on your mirror when you wake up every morning. So you're reminded of what it is you're going after. Nice. Nice. Now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? Uh, Gosh, uh, probably uh, probably the, the first one I read when I first got into sales. I'd say "Think and Grow Rich" by Napoleon Hill. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing <laughs> book. I've read it many times, many many times. Um, now, what lesson took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? What lesson took me the longest to learn, whether in the film? Um, that you've got to be, you've got to be able to collaborate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because people can take their ball and go home and uh, you don't want that to happen. So you've got to, you know, you've got to understand that no matter how good you are, what you do, you cannot make a movie by yourself. And that's 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 one of the reasons I love the film business, because it is the ultimate collaborative process. You know, you need other people to to, to be with you and to work with you. And, you know, two is better than one. Three is better than two, you know, mm-hmm. four and three and so on and so forth. And uh, uh, yeah. That that was probably the hardest because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a Leo. I'm a little bit alpha, you know, come from a wrestling background. Mm -hmm. So I always, you know, it it took me a while to realize that, hey, you know what? Other people are probably going to have better ideas than you sometimes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's only age. Age teaches you that. (laughs) Exactly. You said the longest. What took me the longest to learn. (laughs) And sometimes you're still learning it. It's something that's, That's I'm I'm still learning it as well. Now, uh, this is obviously the toughest question. What are the three of your favorite films of all time? Uh, Fight Club. Amazing. It's on my top three. <laughs> um, I'm going to go here with uh, Vision Quest. <laughs> of course. You're just kidding. Just, li- just live, just f- fall into the uh, stereotypes here. Go ahead. Just fall into it. Uh, uh, what, are you going to say, um, what's the other one? Oh, God. The, um... No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out of left field with this because okay. uh, uh, the Goonies. So. Of course. Of course, the Goonies. <laughs> what, was that movie with, what was that movie with Tom Hardy about the oh, – Warrior, Warrior. What a great movie. It oh. was a great movie. Oh, I was bawling. I was bawling yeah. at the end of that movie. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm developing a, an MMA drama right now. So. Nice, nice, yeah. man. Very nice. Uh, and then where can people uh, find you um, online and, and more about Bomb City? Um, so, yeah. So my handle is easy. It's my name. It's Major Dodge. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram, Facebook, uh, believe it or not, I, I don't do Twitter. Mm-hmm. But um, Bomb City is uh, Bomb City Film, at Bomb City Film on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I actually run uh, the Bomb City social media. So technically, I guess I am on Twitter now, but it's <laughs> at Bomb City Film. Awesome. <laughs> and then our website's bombcityfilm.com. And the, the movie is currently available uh, on every platform, uh, streaming, and then the DVD and Blu-rays for sale you know, through Amazon, Target, as well as uh, on our merchandise site, which is Bomb City Merch, M-E-R-C-H, bombcitymerch.com. And that's where you can find the T-shirts and the vests and the punk rock patches and pins and all that jazz as well. That is awesome, man. Again, thank you so much for sharing uh, your story and inspiration to uh, the tribe, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. It's been a pleasure. Big fan. I want to thank Major for coming on the show and dropping some knowledge bombs on the Indie Film Hustle tribe. Thank you again, Major. 
so much for your time taking the time out. And if you, again, if you want to get any links to uh, to anything we talked about in this episode and also links to the movie, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 248. Now, a lot of you have been asking me what's going on with Ego and Desire on the corner of Ego Desire, my latest feature film that I have not mentioned a whole lot about it is, well, because I am now in the festival circuit. We are applying to festivals. We're trying to get into some big festivals and see what happens. You know, I don't know. I'm going to give it the old college try. Uh, and I'm hoping that the film gets well received. But that's what's going on right now. And depending on how it goes in the festival run, uh, we'll get it out there sooner or later. We'll see what happens with it. But I will take you through the journey as uh, we go through it. I have a lot of cool stuff coming up in the coming year, uh, in the next half of this year, about Ego and Desire. So do not fret. There will be stories about uh, how I made it, uh, how the camera rig that we used, what we did, everything. There's so much stuff coming, I can't even tell you. I'm working also on another top secret project that I can't tell you about right now, but we hopefully will have out by the end of the year. And that's going to be one of the biggest things I've ever, ever done. So please stay tuned for that. And a lot of cool stuff I'm doing uh, with Indie Film Hustle. I promise there's going to be some major developments in the Indie Film Hustle brand, in the Indie Film Hustle world, and what I'm going to be bringing to the tribe. I think it's going to be kind of a -a one-of-a-kind thing that there isn't anything like it anywhere else on the planet, maybe. So uh, I'm I'm hoping uh, that you know that that will hopefully come out soon as well. But that's also going to probably be at least three, four months, five months away as well. So a lot of good stuff to look forward to for the Indie Film Hustle Tribe moving forward. And uh, there might be another podcast launch. I don't know, maybe one, maybe two more. I don't know. I'm crazy. I'm crazy to give you guys the content that you guys need and deserve. I'm obsessed with helping filmmakers and helping you guys out. So thank you again for all the support. And if you haven't done it already, guys, head over to filmmakingpodcast.com and leave me a good review on iTunes. It really helps us out a lot. Five stars would be fantastic. That's filmmakingpodcast.com. And as always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia 